Hey, thanks for listening to our podcast. If you want to listen live in the central Indiana area, you can hear us on 93.5 FM and 107.5 FM. Joel A. Erickson is with us. So should we hand out maybe a bit of the MVP of the day award to Jim Ursay and others that made that decision to open up the roof and the window and especially the roof, considering the type of uh, effect that had on the start of the game from a fielding the punt standpoint, do they get an MVP award of any kind? I, uh, I love that you started here because this is like after the first three punts, uh, I got minorly obsessed with the roof and whether or not it was harder to catch a punt and, uh, and caught some flack for it from my, my colleagues in the press box. And uh, then I got down to the locker room and I was like, well, Naheem Hines is standing there. I might as well ask him if it's harder. And he, he said it is a lot harder to catch a punt uh, when the roof is open. Um, and I, obviously, you know, Hines, I thought he, he had one that he lost, but he, he made the – he made the move that Sky Moore didn't and got out of the way of it and and uh, made sure uh, one mistake didn't turn into a much bigger one. Uh, yeah, it sounds like it sounds like when the roof is open, it's a lot harder uh, for for punt returners just because of some of the light, the way the light is and the sunlight going into uh, artificial light. You hear about this in baseball a lot too, where sometimes when there's shadows on the field, it makes it harder. So. Um, yeah, no, I, I, the, the roof opened and I think helped, helped a little bit. One, one other thing I think about Sky Moore's issues that, that maybe we haven't talked about a lot, uh, Matt Hawk is left-footed. And left-footed punters, the ball spins differently. So I think there was just a lot of different stuff for Sky Moore where he's, he's got a ball that's spinning differently in a, in a venue that's a little bit hard to see. And then obviously uh, it's not – I know these guys have done this a lot, but I still don't think it feels good to have Ashton Doolin bearing down on you so hard that he's two steps behind you and you muff the punt. So, yeah, I, I think the, the the roof and all that kind of gets gets a little bit of an MVP for getting that game kick-started. Joel, there's no doubt that in the NFL they prepare for absolutely everything. I mean, all the way to the bus ride from the team hotel to the stadium. But I would suggest, and I said this to Stephen Holder yesterday, it may have been difficult to prepare for a situation with the roof open here because it, the, there's only so many opportunities that, that affect that I think you have basically when it's open only comes around this time of year. You know, maybe a day or two in September if you have home dates, and that's basically it. So yeah, trying to prepare for that may have been a little bit difficult. You agree? Yeah, no, absolutely. And there's there's not a lot of stadiums that have uh, quite the same roof setup either. So, uh, I, you know, I don't know if you're Kansas City, I don't even know how you simulate that. I don't know, like, there's, you know, the Royals have a uh, the Royals have an open air baseball stadium. It's not like they could take them there and shoot some punts up into there right. and give them a look at it. No, right. I think it's, I think I think you're right. I, I it's kind of a unique situation. Well, uh, Naheem Hines said, said, you know, we've got a little bit of an advantage because I, I've done it before and most other people haven't. Uh, he also said he also said that doesn't mean I like it at all. <laughs> but, yeah, there's so a little bit of that. Does he not like it when you're talking about the shadows are one thing and the shadows are brutal in television broadcast. The 1 o'clock starts are brutal uh, in September when the roof is open like that. But it, it, does he struggle with, with that? the glare more or is it the shadows from where it goes from roof coverage to wide open spaces he, he it's it's less about the shadow for him and he said it's more about the, the you've got 
you've got the sunlight and it's one o'clock, so it's very bright right over the right over the top of them, going into natural light. And he says it plays it plays tricks on your vision, um, and and uh, it's a little bit hard to explain because I've never had to look at it or, or catch a punt trying to do it. I mean, I've looked at it from down there, but not not tried to catch a punt doing it or a fly ball or anything. But yeah, he. He said. He said it's it's just harder. It's harder to read the read the punt and see where it's coming down. Yeah, it's uh, Joel A. Erickson of the Star. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. It's certainly, the level of importance will come with what took place at the end of the game, and that's Chris Jones getting that flag, which uh, kept the drive going. Ultimately, the game-winning drive. But where would you balance? Uh, just being honest, the level of importance from that point with Jones. Or going back to the beginning of the game with Sky Moore muffing that punt and kickstarting an offense that had basically been non-existent going all the way back to the fourth quarter against Houston in Week One. No, oh, I I think I think the the punt return was a bigger deal. I mean they 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 needed they needed points and they and they got a touchdown basically handed to them. Um, you know I mean they get, they get, they got the ball there right right on the doorstep. Uh, and that's that's that was that was pretty significant the way the rest of the game played out. I mean, until until they had that scoring drive, uh, they they never really got back down in the the, the game winning scoring drive. They never really got back down in that area, considering all the protection problems. So, for me, the the punt, uh, not not just the the punt return that they ended up scoring off of the muff, but also the next one where you back the Chiefs up and kind of take away a drive from them essentially. I thought was pretty significant as well. All right. I was in the press box on Sunday, too. You've been in a couple of press boxes on the road to start the season. It was my first time you know, being up there to see the Colts play this year. And the one thing that stood out, and we'll get to the offensive line and their exploits in a moment, but up until that final drive, Matt Ryan, offensive line or not, has mostly been a mess, and he looked like a mess up there up until that final drive as well. You agree? I, I thought that he missed uh, some down the I field too. stuff. Yeah, I mean, uh, and that's that's why I, I, that stuff I can't see at home. That when I get up right. there, because we're basically you know twelve stories above the ground there in that press box, it really stood out to me the the, the chances he has to throw it with guys that he misses, and then some of the throws that he just misses when he does throw it. Those stood out. Yeah i I don't know if the early pressure. I, I felt like. I felt like, and not having watched him a lot to kind of know his his mannerisms, but it, it felt to me like his feet were pretty nervous in the first half. Um, and I, I thought that maybe he'd gotten himself into a spot where his his feet weren't weren't married to what he was seeing down the field. Um, there was a there was one play that there was one play that they ran a play action, and he he had a rollout, and Pittman was open almost immediately. And I was saying, Pitt, right, right. Pitt, Pitt. Uh, and he was never really set, and I don't know if that's a footwork thing, um, but it was just I mean, Pittman. It could have been like a thirty-something yard gain if you hit him early enough. Well, it was that. It was that. It was the same two plays they ran, right? It was that same two plays they ran in Houston. One went for yeah. big yardage, and the other one got snuffed out. If you remember late in that game. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And uh, he was wide open with with really one guy to beat uh, to to get a big gain, not you know to get like a thirty-yard gain. I don't know if he would gone gone with the safety there but it was one corner that he had to beat to get a big game uh, that was one there was another one with pierce uh going up the right side that he was he, he ended up rolling out and 
I mean, it, it's not it, – it wouldn't have been put the ball in jeopardy. Pierce was open. Um, there's a couple with Jelani Wood. There's one he threw and missed, one that he didn't throw. Uh, there, there were a couple of plays down the field that I just felt like he had time to get it out, and I don't know if – I don't know if if getting hit the way he did early on and and coughing up some of those fumbles if he was feeling stuff that wasn't there and I, I don't know but it, it definitely felt like there was an opportunity for that passing game to have more big plays if if he pulled the trigger on some of those throws. Joel Frank Reich believes that they can figure out he knows what's going wrong here. It's stuff where the offensive line is fixable, and I hope that he's right because if it isn't, that's an indictment on the way this team has been built, and that's not good for the now and not good for the longer-term future. Incredibly problematic. Do you believe him when he says that? Is just just stuff with timing and understanding and cohesion, or is there a deeply rooted issue that – maybe is is tough to explain right now with the reason why they're not only playing bad for the most part but dreadfully bad up until that final drive sunday i i think i think one thing is that danny pinter has to play better um right i think i you know we've we've co- we've, we've covered right long enough to know he's not ever going to single somebody out like that but there were there's been it's been a couple weeks now where there's been some some plays like that uh the stuff the stuff with the blitz pickup, you know, this is under under Reich. They've they've finished in the top ten in sacks allowed four years in a row, including with some guys who held on the ball quite a bit compared to the rest of the league. And so, you know, their track record says that they can figure that part out. Um, what's going on now, though? You until you start seeing them do it, you start wondering, you know, are some of the personnel decisions that they made are they are they going to cripple that um, but I would say that's probably where he's coming from is they figured it they figured some stuff like this out before like for example I mean last season early in the season they had that Julian Davenport in at right tackle and it was it was critical on the offensive line uh, it felt like in the first three games and then they they found prior they, they started working him in they, they you know did some stuff and they never got good i mean i think you know in terms of carson wentz i think sunday's uh, commander's game sort of tells you that you know there's going to be some issues with pass protection with him because he likes to hold the ball anyway but they they were much better than they were early in the season from an offensive line standpoint so i think that's what he's that's what he's thinking now on the subject of lineup changes and whether or not they would make a move at right guard or or shift around i don't think reich would tell us that ahead of time i think we would find that out on a sunday and I keep thinking about they tinkered with a line that that involved Raymond at left tackle, Braden Smith at right guard, and Pryor at right tackle three or four times in training camp. And I, I keep wondering, you know, I, Raymond's ankle was hurt last week. You know, is that still in the back of their mind? Is that is that personnel grouping still in the back of their mind as something that they can go to if they don't feel like this is going? Because, you know, they kind of downplayed it as they're just trying stuff out, but they didn't try stuff out with other guys out of the lineup that I remember seeing in terms of like, it's not like they like, we're like, okay, we're going to pull Quentin out and just see what the line looks like without him or that kind of thing. It was, it was just with, with that shuffle and that personnel grouping. So I keep wondering if maybe that's in the back of their head. And obviously that would be dependent on, on Raymond's ankle. Uh, Joel A. Erickson of the Star with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I don't know if he's still injured or not. I don't know his situation, but, 
I certainly don't know um, exactly if there's any interest, but do you know of any interest that they might have had to keep Chris Reed, who was so useful in stopgap situations for injuries along that offensive line a year ago? I I was told that they, at the very least, indicated that they had some interest in him. Uh now, to what level? I mean, he didn't sign for a ton in Minnesota. I don't know if he felt like he had a better chance to start in Minnesota than he did here. That's that's could be a factor. He's not. I don't believe he is starting in Minnesota. But I don't think so either. I, he'd, been, he'd been injured, and I hadn't paid attention since then. It just occurred to me regarding depth um, of a year ago. But I I have felt like I have thought about Chris Reed quite a bit over the last couple of weeks, just because the offensive line is playing the way it is, and and some of that depth. I mean, they lost a lot of it. They either promoted it, like in the case of Pryor who was very valuable to them as a swing tackle last year, they promoted him into a starting role. And, you know, the hope is that Raymond kind of either puts him back in that role or, or plays it this year and then can play left tackle before that. But then, you know, the other depth pieces, they, they, they've had veteran depth pieces on the interior offensive line for a while. And Chris Reed's probably been the best of them, but there have been other guys like that too. Yeah. And they don't really have anybody like that. You know, I guess the only guy is Dennis Kelly. Um, I don't necessarily know his history of playing guard. I know he's played tackle, uh, but I don't know his history of playing guard. Reed, Reed, right now, you'd be thinking, you know, maybe, maybe Reed's getting some some run right now because they they rotated him with Blinsky last year, and Blinsky's playing better, I think, than we've seen from Pinter so far. So Joel Erickson of the Star is with us. I'm sure you've been lobbed a lot of these questions, and so have I, regarding Shaquille Leonard. Um, who was pretty active on the sideline this past Sunday and caught the attention because of a Colts video, mind you, on their, their website, caught the attention of fans out there. Um, if he's that active, he looks to, I guess, most folks ready to play. Is this just a conditioning thing? Is this more deeply rooted than we know? And were you surprised that he wasn't good to go in week number three in that home opener? I I thought that the telling answer from Reich on Friday was when he said that they, you know, they they have they they have the tape of Leonard when they felt like he was healthier, and they have tape of what he looks like in practice now, and they don't feel like his explosion is back yet. They, you know, they 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 did that surgery on on those two discs in his back. I I've never had back surgery. I don't have firsthand knowledge of this, but you know. I think usually that stuff, there's there's some rest and some strength that you lose and you have to get back. And I, I thought that was telling that, that they felt like he didn't look like he had the same explosiveness yet, which, you know, that explosiveness, whatever he looks like on the sideline, I don't know that you'd see that from him celebrating or whatever. And it's it's stuff that would matter a ton. I mean, especially especially if you get him in lined up in one-on-one coverage with a tight end you're going to need him to have that kind of thing. So I, I thought that was maybe the most revealing answer that we've had so far is just that when they look at him on tape, they don't see him uh, looking the same way that he used to yet. And they, they think they're going to wait until he can get there. I haven't followed. I don't follow him on social media. Has he been quieter regarding this? Has he been quieter for a while now? Because I, I just thought about this. He's a guy that's been so outspoken, and he's a guy in the past that has drawn off the criticism of random folks, I mean, anywhere and everywhere, to put that motivational chip on on their shoulder. I, I would think that if he had an issue at all of not being out there and ready to be out there, as much as I'm sure is being sent to him via Twitter, for example, I, I, 
I think he would have responded by now. So I'm kind of, I guess, surprised if he, he hasn't, which maybe I don't know he has, but if he hasn't, I'm a little bit surprised by that. I, I, I mean, if, I think if, if, I think if Leonard felt like he was ready, I think he'd be out there. I, I, you know, he, he, he talked last year at one point about knowing that he was playing through an ankle that wasn't allowing him to do some of the stuff, do some of the things that he's been able to do in the past. And I think that that's pretty instructive is that he probably knows, he probably knows the same thing. He probably knows the same thing is true. Uh, with with what he's dealing with now, whether or not he's fully ready to go, because I think the other thing is the Colts see this, the Colts and Leonard probably see this as a, as a chance to to finally get back healthy and not have to deal with some of this stuff that he's been dealing with for a couple of years now, and they don't want to mess it up and put him put him right back in that cycle. Yeah, I, I think everybody understands that, but you, I mean the logic is when you see him going, you know, you know, crazy on the sideline and doing that, people are going to ask those questions i i know that they're off today and we won't know anything until i'm sure friday right or maybe i guess friday is when we'll know but you, you think he makes it back for tennessee on sunday at this point uh, it's 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 too i i i gotta be honest I, i'm i have no idea with the way these te- the, with the way they're you know how many consecutive practices has he had and how surprising is it to you that he's put a a number of these back to back to back and still is not ready to go uh, it's longer. He's been, he's been practicing longer than, than it usually takes someone to get back into it, but the nature of the injury and the nature of his position and what it was with nerves is something that I don't think we deal with very much. And this isn't like a common injury where you have, you know, three players or four players dealing with it every year. Like you have with some of the tears or whatever, and you have a better, like you have a better, understanding of how the recovery usually works. I, I kind of feel like I'm a little out of my depth on, on some of this back and nerve stuff because it's a, it's a fairly unique uh, injury compared to some of the other stuff. How much more time did Isaiah Rogers get defensively this past weekend than he had in the prior couple of weeks? Uh, he played 24 snaps uh, this time. Uh, he had played zero defensively in, in the first two. So, 24 more snaps than any of the games so far. Um, Was that a realization along with Nick Cross? When did that realization regarding Cross, the rookie, come to pass as well in your estimation? So we talked to Bradley about this today and we asked about Cross, and I thought that his his answer sort of revealed something about the way they're going to handle some of the secondary. Was They felt like going against Kansas City's offense – which is sort of renowned for all the different things it can do and the misdirection and how hard it is to read sometimes. They felt like McLeod's experience was better suited for that. And Bradley sort of said that he thinks that there'll be, you know, the playing time at those positions, at that position might be a rotation a little bit. That's sort of what they said about Isaiah Rogers last week too, was that given who they were going against with Kansas city and some of their receivers that Rogers skill set played a little bit more to it. Now, I would say that I would think you should have Rodgers on the field no matter who you're playing against because he just finds the ball and he makes plays on it. Uh, and, and just about everybody has a, has a speed guy, and he's, he's, that's, where, that's his game, you know. But, and he, maybe he earned that with the way he played in his 24 snaps. Maybe you'll see that more going forward. But I think there's, I think there's some element of matchup that we're going to see going forward in the secondary when, as long as they have everybody healthy where 
they're, they're going to be like, you know, okay, this team spreads it out a lot. Maybe you're, and they've got, they've got some fast guys that might, you might see Rogers more Nick cross, you know, maybe more of a thumper than Rodney McLeod has been. Maybe you see him a little bit more this week against Derrick Henry than you did last week in, uh, against the misdirection type attack. So uh, yeah. there's, I think there's going to be some rotation in the secondary. Has it occurred to you because seemingly when, when Jim Irsay's talking about the Colts in the off season and it's not, you know, about moving on from Carson Wentz, it's been about the focus in on them beating the Titans. And I'm assuming that message is loud and clear from the off season owner, as far as this matchup Sunday is concerned. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, especially, especially the way he talked about it at the owners meeting, Chief saying that, you know, the Tennessee beating Tennessee has been, that's, that's the primary goal being able to overtake them. And so I would say this is, this is a fairly big game, uh, probably bigger inside the building maybe than it is outside it, given the way the Titans have played, uh, and the way the Titans and the Colts have played through the first couple of weeks. I don't know if nationally it's going to, it's as big a game as it has been in prior years based on the way they've started. But I think inside the building, I would bet everybody kind of knows that this is a big one. Yeah, I mean, when you consider you got a tie and you have a loss within the division, so I mean, right. you you right. you, you got to get you can't you can't lose serve at home against the Titans, and then you got to try to make up for something somewhere else. And I'm assuming that somewhere else within the division is going to be trying to sweep the Titans now, since you already have one loss and one tie with between Houston and and Jacksonville in this case. Well, and you, I mean, you've got a chance to 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 really put a uh, a wound in a team that's that's had its own issues. I mean, yeah. they've they've lost Taylor Lewan, they've lost Taylor Landry. They're one and two. They didn't play great last week. They got a win against the Raiders, but I was just reading through the the coverage from the Tennessean guide and some of the people down there, and you know, it feels like there's there's some you know consternation or, or questioning of what what they've got going on this year too. You, you got a chance to kind of push them further towards the edge and i think that's important we saw well, we saw it last year we saw it last year with the way the division worked out colts got off to that terrible start ended up behind the titans and never could come back if you can push a team beyond you and behind you that's that can really pay dividends later on in the season so joey erickson of the star covers the colts on the andy moore automotive group hotline before i let you go it was a a big afternoon for the rookie jelani woods no doubt about that it tied in a couple of touchdown passes and uh, one was the game winner but as far as what this team is missing and i agree with with everybody from joe rides to you know just the average fan that you know the fact that you don't have jack doyle and his blocking capabilities at tight end that's a big deal um, is there a level of disappointment in what you've seen through three weeks in Mo Alley Cox? Well, I think in terms of blocking, um, he was he was stood up a couple of times. I mean, he was stood straight up a couple yeah. of times, and in you, you can of, actually see it. Yeah. Blocking, in terms of blocking and replacing Doyle, the hard part is that Alley Cox's role hasn't really changed because he was already in that. Now. Now I don't. He, no, he's not Doyle. The, the Colts, the Colts thought Doyle was maybe the best run blocking tight end in football. Um, and and I think the other hard part with that is, I, they they didn't really go out and get anybody to replace that. That's a big tough ask of a rookie to be somebody that good in a running attack that that does as many different things as the Colts do schematically. Um, they never really replaced that to give them a second blocking tight end uh, like that they've had now for. 
basically the entire time that, that Doyle has been here with, with, with Reich. And Reich kind of said at the owners' meetings, we're going to have to do things a little differently on offense. I do think that plays a factor in what's gone on in the running game so far. Um, you know, I feel like Taylor's played pretty well, but he just doesn't have a whole lot of room to break anything out. Well, I, I don't know about you, but this is what I felt. When he went airborne, this is not something I've ever noticed in short yardage, especially from him. Maybe he has, and maybe I've just forgotten about it. But I, I thought about this on Sunday. When he went airborne on that first uh, or fourth and half a yard situation, uh, to me it was like he didn't have confidence that they were going to give him – the space he needed on the ground so he thought he'd do something a little bit different you think that was kind of a a response to what he's seen from that offensive line in front of him so far this year i i think i think so he has gone airborne i think believe on the goal line before but the goal line i feel like is a little bit different than the open field i thought he could have kept his feet there yeah and maybe try to drive the pile he's so strong you know i thought maybe maybe even if he was hit there he could he could you know, find something and kind of push forward and get the first. But I, I do feel like that, um, you know, there's there's some pushback uh, from Pinter and I think Kelly on his right side. And I think that as those guys are getting pushed back, I think maybe the way it had gone for him, he figured, I'm going to try to go over the top and get this. Uh, where I, I thought, I really thought maybe he could have stayed, kept his feet on the ground and maybe picked that up. Yeah, I yeah, it was it it seemed to be a bad decision, but I just thought it was a decision made out of uh just kind of prior response to what he has seen as far as gathering space and room to run with this offensive line. Maybe I'm wrong, so. No, I I think that's very possible. I I'll say this, you 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 ne- will never find out from Taylor. That's, yeah, no doubt. That he is a he is a I have to do better type of guy. So, uh, I will never find that out from him. Uh, Joel Erickson of the Star. He's with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. We'll see what happens later on in the week with Shaquille Leonard. And it is a large contest. In fact, listen, getting off the mat and winning your first game of the season was huge. But in terms of moving forward here, this game on Sunday is even bigger than that one versus Kansas City on Sunday. Yeah, in division against the team that won it the last two years. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, uh, absolutely is. And, and a team that... And a team that your owner kind of set up, or didn't kind of, did, did set up as, as a, 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 a measuring stick for you in the offseason. Big game. Huge game on Sunday. Appreciate it, Joel. We'll do it again soon. See you on Sunday. Yep. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Joel A. Erickson of the Star with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. On the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline, it was a sad sack of sorries. This time last week regarding the performance in Jacksonville for the Colts. We'll see if the analytics and the numbers and the nerdery reach a much higher level after the victory over Kansas City on Sunday. Ben Brown of PFF joins us. So what stood out to you as far as the numbers are concerned about that Colts win Sunday? I mean, I think the one thing that stands out to me is I was kind of the uh, differentiator or determining factor in their actual success this week. I think when you bring me on uh, the show, they seem to play – uh, a lot better, I would say. So I'm wondering, you know, where was the invite for the, the first two weeks of the season? Because I think Colts fans might want to be holding you a little bit responsible for uh, uh, the sluggish start, I would say, before week three. <laughs> well, they have been griping at me, but it's both ends. Like, I get it. When when I have to rip on them, I get it from the, the fans that love them, say you're too negative, it's too early, and then when you don't rip on them, uh, you get it from you're carrying water for the team. So, yeah, we get it from both right. sides. That's just what happens. <laughs> 
it never ends. No, I mean, like, as we kind of said last week, I hope there are, you know, some, some silver linings, even if uh, they don't, even if they don't end up winning the game outright, thankfully uh, they won the game outright. And I do think there is some, you know, decent takeaways, obviously things, uh, you know, broke right from the start. I would say getting the, you know, muff punt fumble recovery to kind of, you know, uh, tilt the tide in their direction really early on. I think that obviously helps them from, you know, not only a game script perspective, but how they're going to be uh, somewhat productive offensively. Uh, not a lot of really sustained drive, but I do think, you know, their two field goal type drive situations at least showed some production uh, early on. So I think they're, you know, uh, outside of the fact that there probably is some negative takeaways, uh, definitely a lot of good, I would say, coming out of week three as well. Uh, by the way, the English scientist, Kyle's name is Magnus Pike, P-Y-K-E, in the song, She Blinded Me With Science, Magnus Pike. Thank you, Casey and Greenwood, for that. Ben Brown joins us from PFF. Let's start with the good numbers, or at least what we think are going to be the good numbers. How much better in the analytics did, especially that Colts defensive line, with the entirety of the defense look against Patrick Mahomes compared to the way that they looked a week prior versus Trevor Lawrence? Yeah, definitely. I think they, I think they looked really good. Uh, you know, your boy uh, Yannick Ngakwe, I would say, flashed a little bit. Got flashed. Got four pressures. Um and, and, and they look good, right? I think this was uh, by far the lowest EPA per play that the Chiefs have been held to this season. I think there were like maybe five games last year where they averaged uh, a lower EPA per play. So uh, I think from you know, the Colts' defensive standpoint, they did everything they needed to do uh, against the Chiefs. I think maybe they were, you know, somewhat productive, had a couple big plays, but uh, there were some big swings where they ended up, you know, holding them to field goal type situations, getting the fourth down stop as well. So I think overall uh, that has to be, you know, one of the building blocks or foundations for, you know, this Colts team going forward is their defensive line played, I would say, quite well. I thought Stefan Gilmore had, had a couple of nice, you know, uh, coverage situations and also stops. Uh, to not allow like a third down conversion conversion on Travis Kelsey. So uh, I think overall, you know, defensively, uh, they were opportunistic. Like I think that was probably the reason why, you know, they ended up being there at the end uh, and capable of actually winning the game on that last drive. Uh, ben, I want to make sure everybody's on the same page here because we might have some folks out there and thinking you're talking about the Environmental Protection Agency. In fact, the EPA that you're talking about through the nerdery of football analytics here would be expected points added, correct? Yep, yep, that's okay. correct. So basically, you know, every single play has a situation that happens, right? Obviously, okay. you know, third and, third and ten from, like, your, your own 36-yard line has uh, an expectation for how that drive is going to finish out, right? What's the, what's the expected value of where you're at given the down and distance and situation uh, of that particular spot on the field. And then you can kind of calculate, you know, what each play adds up being from an expected points uh, perspective in order to kind of arrive at, you know, how well or how uh, not well, you know, a certain offense and a certain defense plays in that particular what, What's the expectation week after week under normal circumstances for Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs with that in mind? Yeah, I mean, they are, you know, one of the best offenses in the NFL. I don't think anybody would question that. Uh, right now, I think they are uh, right around .202 uh, expected points added per play. That would be, uh, you know, the second best. Uh, that would be the second best, um, um, you know, expected points offensively for a team so far this season. The only team better than them has basically been the Miami Dolphins. So uh, this was the first time this year that they've been held to, you know, a negative expectation 
uh, for every single play. And I think that, you know, that speaks to, you know, not only, you know, how well uh, the Colts played defensively, but I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, some of the, the pressure type situations and making Patrick Mahomes feel, you know, a little bit uncomfortable uh, in the pocket. Ben, did Ngakwe look more than just rotational on Sunday or was that his vintage rotational level of play that you talked about in the offseason? Uh- I mean, I think it was. I think he was still kind of a rotational piece. Of, <laughs> I, I should look up his actual stats here. Yeah. Um, he played. Yeah. I mean, he played 41 snaps. I think that's basically his lowest so far this year. 31 pass rush snaps, but uh, he actually was, you know, somewhat productive. I would say. So I think even though he might still continue to be uh, a little bit more of a rotational type piece, if you can get, you know, four pressures from him where he's averaging, you know, a pressure every like 12 to 13 percent of his pass rush snaps. Uh, that's that's a pretty good part-time player, and I think that's what you kind of need to expect from him uh, going forward. And I think that would be a win if he can kind of continue to deliver uh, at that particular level. What about the rest of that defensive line, too? Because you know, Buckner had been somewhat, if not a complete no-show so far. Other than Grover Stewart, there hadn't been a lot of conversation regarding the Colts defensively up front. How did that group as a whole look to you? Yeah, I think they, I, I, you know, I think it was overall kind of, you know, a, a team effort, I would say, along the front seven for sure. So uh, none of them, like, I would say popped a ton out, um, you know, from a PFF grading perspective. But I think they were, you know, kind of productive enough um, to actually get the job done. I think, you know, Keithy Pay had five pressures. He's right around, you know, a 17% to 18% pass rush win rate uh, or pressure rate situation. So he's a guy that is, you know, kind of, kind of you know it's not showing up necessarily uh, in the sacks outside of the two he had in week one but uh you know he's hurrying up uh the situation for the quarterback and i think that definitely can impact you know coverage situations and everything else so i think he's you know actually been uh, pretty decent i think you know what he showed on sunday if they can kind of keep that going forward uh is definitely going to help that front four specifically what um from what you gather and and this is how i viewed this and i, I put this theory out there um, I think the end of last week that the defense up until week three against the Chiefs reminded me of what I would have felt the defense looked like without Shaquille Leonard a year ago because he was the playmaker. He was really the only thing that was keeping that thing afloat whatsoever a year ago. What um, What's this defense look like with him out there compared to the numbers through the first three weeks of the season without Leonard on the field for the Colts? Yeah, I, I think that's like a really good comparison, right? I definitely agree with you. You know, Shaquille Leonard was kind of the the the, the playmaker that actually came through right. with some of these high, you know, turnover type swing plays. And I think everyone kind of around him, not necessarily like a glue guy type situation, but it's definitely something where uh, they need to be uh, better than the sum of their parts, or else they are going to kind of fall apart. And I think you know, through the first two weeks of the season, uh, there was definitely some breakdowns in situations, some poor tackling type situations, especially on crucial downs. Uh, where they definitely didn't have that. But I think, uh, you know, the, the, the almost like bend but don't break mentality, they did definitely allow uh, a few big chunk plays to, uh, you know, the Kansas City Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, uh, Travis Kelsey, and Juju Smith-Schuster. But uh, they were kind of able to at least keep them out of the end zone in a number of those situations and kind of make them or force them settle for field goals. And I think that's going to be, you know, the, the differentiator if they can do that against some of these high-quality offenses and get Shaquille Leonard back into the fold and actually have them generate some of those, you know, those turnover play type situations on top of them, you know, kind of holding their own in the red zone type situations. 
I think that's when you see uh, a, a kind of a return to form of where they were at at their peak last year. Ben Brown of Pro Football Focus, the data scientist with us every Tuesday via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. And you know what? They ended up winning. They got a drive out of this offense at the end of the game, but especially this offensive line knocked around once again, not even a, a really approaching the level of expectations that most of us had for it so far this season. And certainly – on Sunday in week number three, how did it grade out according to you? And even further, where does it rank right now as far as the offensive line is concerned through the first three weeks of the season? Yeah, definitely. So at least, you know, from a run blocking perspective, they've been uh, right around like the seventh or eighth best team. Now, granted, there hasn't been a ton of really good run blocking units in the NFL so far. So if you were looking at it from a pure grading perspective, they would probably be a little bit lower than what we would consider like league average but given the fact that the league average run blocking rating has been really down this year uh, they actually look like a somewhat you know uh somewhat decent unit from you know a pass blocking perspective uh definitely not uh you know in the same category i think they're like 19th overall from a pass block uh grading perspective part of that you know goes back to uh matt ryan and who you actually kind of want to assign for some of the blame uh, in regards to like the sack and these other, you know, fumble, strip sack fumble type situations and everything else. So he did see, you know, once again, play out because his, his pressure rate wasn't that bad. It was kind of back to the week one level where he's at, you know, 28% uh, of his dropbacks. He is experienced some sort experience in some sort of duress or under pressure type situations uh, where league averages uh, probably a little bit higher than that, right around like 32, 33% from a, from, you know, a league wide average. So they were probably a little bit below average. The problem is, is that uh, when, when guys are getting pressure on Matt Ryan, it's, it's causing way bigger disruptions than what you're seeing uh, in almost any other offense in the NFL, right? Like we have quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes who can alleviate pressure type situations. They don't necessarily need, you know, a top 10 or top five offensive line uh, in order to generate and be a productive offense. But uh, at this stage of Matt Ryan's career, he's not even close to that. And I would consider him, you know, one of the worst uh, pressure or handling pressure type quarterbacks that we have right now at the NFL level. And I think that, you know, because of that, uh, the glaring issue that, uh, you know, we think is, you know, the pass blocking and everything else uh, is only magnified because he's just not doing anything to help them whatsoever. So I think that is maybe the overall concern, but uh, you know, the offense line, definitely from a pass blocking perspective hasn't been great. Uh, and, and it hasn't been anywhere close to what Matt Ryan, it seems like actually needs right now uh, in order to actually, you know, be a productive offense. So I yeah, think that would be right. the concern, the concerning part, you know, heading out of week three, they definitely got the victory, uh, but uh, th there's still quite a few, you know, cracks in the foundation, so to speak, uh, and takeaways that could definitely be, you know, a long-term negative for this team overall. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. Ben Brown of PFF is with us. Uh, and it's something that, that Frank Reich said yesterday that he feels they can fix, they know what the problem is, and they can fix it, and they better. Uh, again, as I mentioned, that's one of the, the foundational building blocks of this team. And if that doesn't work, then you just waste your time going out getting a 37-year-old mostly, not completely, but yep. mostly um, immobile type of quarterback. And, you know, then the running game dissipates. We've seen that, right? Yep. The past couple of weeks, yep. Yep. the effect of the offensive line and what that's had on number 28 in the backfield. Yeah, and it, it's been bad, right? I think if you look back at week three, like the, the, the best drives that they had starting out were situations where they were, you know, passing the ball on first down, which is not really the look that you want with this offense. 
Uh, unfortunately, uh, there's no there's no real threat of play action because you know the, the play breaks down so quickly with play action if the offensive line isn't kind of able to hold some of their blocks, and, and if they can't hold their blocks, uh, it, it's disastrous, right? Because you know Matt Ryan under pressure has just been so bad. Uh, so far this season so I think overall it's impacting every you know fast in the play offensively but uh, there, there just hasn't been a lot of room for Jonathan Taylor and I do think that you know some of the swing type passes getting them out in screens and those sorts of things trying to get the ball into his hands and passing type uh, you know, uh, through the through the air as opposed to kind of being on the ground has helped them a little bit. And I think that's kind of been where they've been at their best and at least able to sustain some drives which is you know there were a couple of those I would say coming up here on Sunday. All right, Ben, how do they compare so far? Because Tennessee also got their first of the season on Sunday, too. How do the numbers, the analytics compare between the Colts and the Titans in their first meeting? What should we expect coming up on Sunday here in Indy? Yeah, I think the Titans are, you know, as, as, you know, as poor at times as, uh, uh, as the Colts have played, I think the Titans are worse, right? I think if you're looking at it from a PFF perspective, dead last in that pass block, uh, unit pass block grade ranking that we have so far. So uh, Ryan Tannehill has obviously been able to, uh, you know, alleviate pressure in a better way than what Matt Ryan has. But outside of that, it's been pretty disastrous. I think from, you know, an offensive uh, skill position set, I do think the Indianapolis Colts are still the better team overall with Michael Pittman at wide receiver. Jonathan Taylor, I think, is you know very comparable to what Derrick Henry provides. Obviously, two completely different style of running backs, but I think overall, you know, those are the two guys you think of as far as the marquee running backs at the NFL level. And I think you know Michael Pittman, Alex Pierce, flashing a little bit as well, uh, does give them you know a, a slight edge from an offensive skill position standpoint. So. I, I, I like the Colts once again. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to be a huge homer here, but uh, the, the Titans were a team that I was really low on in the offseason. I think that, you know, through the first three weeks of the season, uh, nothing's changed that so far. And the betting market uh, has, I would say, kind of moved in the Indianapolis Colts direction as well. So uh, I think, you know, not necessarily a must-win game for the Colts, but uh, this is one that they should definitely be able to take care ben, of. Ben, 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 Ben. That's don't a must. That. Oh, don't Ben, that. that is absolutely a must-win. I don't know what Whopper's telling you <laughs> right now, but Whopper, you got to unplug it and plug it back in and reboot it if it's telling you that's not a must-win. Ben, come on, right. man. Yes, I mean I didn't want to. I didn't want to commit to the must-win in, in oh, week. Oh, Ben, four commit, without, you know, fully commit, brother. It's, yeah, you got to fully commit. Going. All right. Well, I'm when you think it. about it, it, hey, run some numbers in your head here because I know you're incredibly mathematically gifted. Ben Brown of PFF, the data scientist, joins us. But you you tie against Houston. You, you've whiffed on your first two opportunities for wins within the division. I mean, you can't go 0-2-1 and one and have one of those be a loss at home to Tennessee. Thus, to me, that would compute to – wait a minute. Let me hit – compute to a must win. What do you think? I think you're definitely right on it. I should have just committed to it right away. So yeah. we basically have this. This is where it's at right now. We have the Colts with a fifty percent. We have the we have the Jaguars. Sorry, uh, with a fifty percent chance to make the playoffs. We have the Tennessee Titans, forty six percent chance. Indianapolis Colts, forty five percent chance. Uh, it's obviously a little lower from a division standpoint, but uh, they are basically within you know two percentage points. Those three teams of actually winning the division title as well. So it's. It's crucial, I would say, and it's especially crucial given you know how 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 well the Jaguars have looked to start the season. I think that's maybe the, the most concerning thing from a Colts fan perspective is that uh, they absolutely probably need this game in order to kind of keep pace with 
uh, a very up-and-coming Jaguar. So does your computer tell you, stats tell you, that the Jaguars are for real, or is there still a, a lot to be determined as far as just how, how real and spectacular Doug Peterson's crew is this early this season? I mean, I think they're definitely for real. I think they might, you know, people trying to crown them this early, I think is definitely overstated. So as good as they've been, they still only have a 50% chance of making the playoffs, right? I think if you talk to anybody on the street, everybody else, uh, they would essentially say they're a lock to get in, which uh, I don't necessarily agree with. I do still think Trevor Lawrence, you know, looks capable of developing into one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL uh, that we've seen, you know, in, in a number of years. So I think that's very real. Uh, but outside of him, I, I, I know Christian Kirk's had a good year. Uh, they've been pretty productive, you know, from an offensive standpoint. But I still don't fully buy into their skill position players being as good as they have been so far. And I think that's maybe uh, the, the downside risk with, you know, buying into Jacksonville too heavily right now. I How did they look, the Jaguars? Because I really didn't pay a great deal of attention to it back in week one. How did they look in that loss to Washington all the way back to week one? Yeah, it was that was you know by far their worst game. Obviously, it, the, the, the turnover type situation with you know moving on uh, from Urban Meyer maybe had some impact of it. I don't think that was you know by far Trevor Lawrence's worst game of the season, uh, and, and a lot of moving parts coming in from you know free agency in the draft that are actually playing pretty crucial roles in that you know type of situation. But I do think you know going back to that game, that's got to be one of the most perplexing games because after that. And they did look really poor in that week one match against Washington. They looked, you know, almost almost like world beaters after that, right? So I do think that is still the downside risk in that we've really only seen two quality games from them, uh, and they still have a long ways to go. But, uh, yeah, they looked, you know, every bit as bad in that week one matchup as they have looked good, I would say, you know, moving out of that week one and into week two and week three. I just out of curiosity because they're the uh, the team everybody's in love with through the first three weeks of the season. Nick Sirianni, the former OC here, is the head coach now in year number two in Philadelphia. Uh, the Eagles' numbers, starting with Jalen Hurts, you know, you can get to their skill position players and certainly go on the defensive side of the football with nine sacks against Carson Wentz and the Washington Commanders on Sunday. How do their numbers bear out right now? I, I mean, they look really, really good, right? And I think, you know, if you go back to the offensive line standpoint, I would say they are by far the best, uh, you know, offensive line unit, especially from a pass-blocking situation that we have in the NFL, our number one graded unit. Some of that is, you know, helped by Jalen Hurts being, you know, this dynamic, uh, you know, two, uh, you know, running passing type quarterback that can obviously make, you know, a number of plays with the running ability as well. But they've been really good. And I think, you know, top to bottom, the only real question on them heading into the season was how good can Jalen Hurts be? And I think he's not only been, you know, as good as advertised, I think he's probably been better than what almost everyone have ex- would have even expected uh, in the preseason. So it's, it's, it's been good. I do think that, you know, w- we were talking about maybe not buying into uh, the Jaguars being for real, for real right now, but I definitely think, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles are uh, very much here, uh, very much correctly hyped uh, and are very much legitimate contenders in the NFC. Okay, Ben, That's uh, any oddball numbers for the first three weeks of the season that might um, impress, might confuse, might, I don't know, uh, get people fired up as far as Indianapolis is concerned, not just Colts numbers, but numbers around the NFL in particular? I I need to get ready for this segment because I always forget about it, and I know I had you know a few decent spots last 
last year uh, trying to find some off-the-wall things. I got to get back to it. I think if we're making this a weekly spot, uh, I will have much better uh, data and information for you to kind of go off the cuff with uh, after this week. I just uh, I, I, I was lost in the swing of things, I would say, today, and unfortunately didn't prep uh, any really good uh, well, well, Okay, right what would you get lost in? Tell me all about it. What would you get lost in today? I mean, what happened? Just, we, I mean, we have – I'm not sure if you know this, but my boss at PFF is actually leaving for a different company, so it's been Who's your uh, boss? a lot more behind uh, – Eric Eager, if you recognize uh, the name. He's yeah, the VP of uh, Research and Development at PFF. So he's going to a different company uh, so a lot of the uh, what kind of nerdery is he jumping into party. now? What is that about? Uh, oh, Tell it's me. it's some hardcore nerdy. It's oh. more uh, it's more like the business to business side of things. So they are trying to do you know a lot of work with like NFL teams and stuff like that. But yeah, he did move to more of a a, a startup type environment in the sports analytics space. So <laughs> I'm happy for him, you know. But it's, uh, it's there's just a lot more things going on on my plate now. Uh, so is this a promotion or is it they just handing down work to you? How's this work? I mean, I was told it was, you know, going to be a promotion. Yeah, that's our guy right there. Ben Brown, the promotion, everybody. They haven't shown me the money yet, though, so I guess that's the other side of it. Well, you're a pleasure to have on here every Tuesday, and I know people look forward to it. People enjoy it, and uh, we'll climb back in and see what happens against the Titans coming up on Sunday, Ben. I appreciate you. Congratulations, whether or not it's an official promotion. Congratulations (laughs) on the escalated workload. If nothing else. Thank you so much. It feels so good coming from you when you say it like that. I definitely appreciate it, guys. This is honestly the spot that I look forward to the most uh, out of all the things that I do uh, throughout my entire week. So I definitely appreciate you guys having me back. You you got it, Ben. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Uh, Ben Brown, again, via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. Frank had mentioned yesterday he felt this offensive line and their struggles, they are fixable, uh, timing, uh, on the same page types of situations. Do you see that, or is there just a lot of broken downness going on with this group right now? There's a lot of mistakes going around the entire group. Um, what struck me early in the game was that it wasn't just individuals getting beat. It was things schematically. So whether that's blitz picked up by the quarterback, or whether that's recognition by the uh, offensive linemen themselves, whether that is – the other coach out scheming Colts coaches in terms of setting up blitzes where the Colts don't have time to get to those things. It's a little bit of everything. So I would agree some of those elements are correctable, and that gives you some pause for hope. But at the same time, and I thought um, you know, the, the comments that Frank made were in kind of the media Zoom call, which I was on yesterday. Uh, Zach Kiefer hit it very well uh, when he said, hey, he goes, it's all fair points you're bringing up, and I'm paraphrasing here, but it wasn't like you had offensive linemen that missed time in training camp. You know, you had guys that played in preseason games. This wasn't last year where Ryan Kelly missed significant time, and Quentin Nelson wasn't ready for the start of the season. This group is largely what you had uh, in the course of August. Should those things be happening in September? I think that's the question that all of us can fairly have right now is, hey, yeah, we knew that maybe – Matt Pryor might be overmatched at left tackle. Uh, I didn't think there were many concerns about Danny Pinner at right guard. His play at times has been less than stellar. Um, but, but any sort of communication issues or problems, those should have been addressed in training camp, and perhaps they weren't 
uh, as we're finding out three weeks in. Well, you think about that, and then you think about the kicker. We all knew, or at least expected, that something would arise as far as that was concerned, and it took all of a game. And that was that. So there are some things that you look back on training camp that we talked about, we brought up, and for whatever reason went unrecognized. I don't want to say ignored, but certainly unrecognized or at the very least uh, did not get dealt with before the start of the season that they're dealing with right now. I will say this on the kicking front. I was out there, and the parts that that I saw, Rodrigo Blankenship won the job. Um, if, if you want to say, hey, Rodrigo shouldn't have given, been given the chance and he should have made a different move back in April, okay, that's, a, that, that's fair. Um, but I will say in, in terms of what he did in late July and August in preseason games and the times when, you know, the fans and the media had a chance to watch practices, Rodrigo Blankenship won the job. Now, that he didn't did lose the job in week one? Absolutely he did. Does it appear as of now the Colts had a better option in Chase McLaughlin? I would agree with that wholeheartedly. But at least in Blankenship's case, he had direct competition, and he went out and he won the job. So Greg Rakestraw on the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. With all that in mind, do you think the Colts, after that Chris Jones penalty that restarted their vehicle, so to speak, did they find anything all that they can play off of in that final drive, whether it's a, a better cohesion offensive line-wise, a lot of confidence from the quarterback between he and the pass catchers? Might that be something that they can play off of going into Sunday? You know, you always have the thought about going up tempo, which you normally associate late game-winning drives with. The Colts did the opposite, and that's the thing that struck me. Again, the been there, done that aspect of Matt Ryan in that – he milked that clock like a thing of beauty. He was tremendous in terms of huddling guys up and not being rattled and taking his time, knowing you wanted to give Patrick Mahomes as little of time as possible uh, to be able to, to, to get the football back and, and do anything with it. The, the thing that I think carries over, it's not from the last drive, other than the confidence in knowing that Ryan can still go get that done in a game-winning scenario, is just the fact the way the young guys popped, period. You know, that, that, that Alec Pierce, after having a rough game in week one and then not be able to play in week number two, delivered when called upon in week number three. And that clearly there seems to be a niche and a knack for Jelani Woods to make tough catches, even if, you know, we, we complain or are concerned about lack of wide receiver slash tight end separation. When you're that size, you don't need separation. Just throw it to a point where he can be the only one to go get it. And that's exactly what he did um, on those two touchdown grabs. On the flip side, the fact that Rodney Thomas was ready to go because we didn't spend any time right. talking about him being a seventh-round pick during the course of the preseason. So, to me, the biggest thing that carried over, other, other than the most important part, as in, you know, getting a win and keeping your season, you know, on track and not completely off the rails, was the fact that the young guys delivered on Sunday. And, and, and that, to me is the thing that has the most carryover. It's like Greg Rakestraw, the Colts post-game show host with us via the Andy Moore Automotive Group hotline. I thought the defense played, especially in terms of of doing a lot of things against Patrick Mahomes that teams struggle with, um, just what the proverbial doctor ordered, certainly on Sunday. We finally saw that defensive line do what we expect. And I thought the way that the receivers hung with their dudes – it, yep. it brought to my mind, Greg, a couple of things. One was that's that great effort that they gave in the secondary, but 
it was the first time in two weeks that if you watch Kansas City, you noticed how much that they do miss Tyreek Hill. You miss the guy that can take the top off the defense. You know, you miss that breakaway speed. And I understand kind of the reasoning behind it in that once the money goes to Mahomes and to other sources, you're not going to have enough money to pay everybody. That's, that's just the way it works in the National Football League. But, yes, I thought the Kansas City Chiefs looked very average on Sunday afternoon. And the Colts certainly played a part in that. What we saw on Sunday is, frankly, what I expected this Colts defense to be. This is what I thought we would see during the course of the preseason. And why we didn't see that against Jackson the week before, why we only saw it in fits and starts and not for the entirety of the game against the Texans is, is somewhat beyond me. But I'll be honest with you, not, not 20 to 17, but I kind of think this is kind of going to be the, the Colts for most of the season. I, I think it's going to be almost a race to 24 or 27. And if they get there, I think their defense is going to do enough to, to have them win football games. I don't think this is an explosive offense. It's just not. They've got a couple of explosive pieces in Jonathan Taylor and, and to a lesser degree in Michael Pittman. But this is going to be an offense that's about efficiency, taking advantage of opportunities. And, and, and the most important thing they've got to stop doing is giving the football away. Um, you know, let, let it be known that, that both, you know, both touchdown drives for Kansas City were short field drives. Their only lengthy drive was the first drive of the third quarter that resulted in a field goal and not in seven points. I think if this offense produces 24 points a game, I think more weeks than not, they're going to win the football game. I think that that's the way when this defense is humming like it was on Sunday – I think that's the way the rest of the season shapes. Yeah, well, that was the, kind of the battle, too, of who's going to take advantage of those miscues. Right. And then yeah. I, the Colts ultimately, I guess, won that, considering they, they took full advantage of of that final miscue that, that ultimately cost Kansas City the game. You give somebody enough chances to win a game, at some point they will finally take it from you. And that was the case for the Indianapolis Colts on Sunday afternoon. Thoughts on the Titans? They get on the uh, the board with a win against the Raiders on Sunday. They haven't looked great. They lost somebody else, the uh, right tackle, Taylor Lewan, done yeah. for the season. Harold Landry, know about that. We know about A.J. Brown now being in Philadelphia and thriving there with Nick Sariani and the Eagles. What do you make of this team the way that it looks right now? And uh, Mike Vrabel is the coach. With the success they've had in recent history, certainly combined with the loss of bodies that normal circumstances are pretty huge in the equation of them winning. What do you think about that Titans team that heads up here on Sunday? I think Mike Vrabel's a pretty good coach. I think it's a pretty average roster. Um, and, and again, I understand the move they made in terms of not wanting to, to help set the market in terms of, of A.J. Brown and an upcoming contract. I understand some teams, I think, are going to go that route and say, hey, we're not going to pay wide receivers big money. Um, but I think they're a less dynamic football team, just like the Kansas City Chiefs are. I think the Titans are clearly that way. I think their fans feel the same way Colts fans do right now. Hey, the win was great. Are you fully convinced your team's got it? Probably not, given the way that that game played out on, on Sunday afternoon. So my thought is, is that, you know, we, we all thought this was going to be Titans and Colts at the top of the AFC South. And you know what? It, it might well be. But there's little doubt the most impressive team so far in this division isn't amongst the two that are playing on Sunday, the Jacksonville Jaguars. And so now this game is still equally as big 
Yeah. But you're worried about losing around to Jacksonville, which is not exactly a phrase I think anybody thought we would say in 2022. No doubt. A couple of thoughts, collegially speaking, on IU. That wasn't discussed yesterday. And then Purdue also didn't get much discussion. And uh, Aiden O'Connell and the chances he plays coming up this weekend. No idea on what uh, Aiden's going to look like. I, I thought the Purdue offense was was solid. Clearly, they missed him at times. I think of the ball that Burton absolutely stared down a defensive back uh, where he threw that pick late in the game. Here's the thing. That this, the thing that we say about the AFC South is the gift that keeps on giving to right. the Indianapolis Colts. Uh, just change that wording to the Big Ten West for Purdue uh, because I think they clearly play the best team in the Big Ten West this week in Minnesota, and after that, you got a shot to win every game um, just if you play well. There's nobody that's that going to be overly intimidating, uh, you know, coming from the other division. So, um, you know, it, it was a scare on Saturday. But given how Purdue found ways to hand the game away in two previous tries, at least they hung on and got the W. Um, if they were in the Big Ten East, they're in trouble. They're not. They can still be a bowl team, still be maybe even – um, a, a seven to eight win football team because of whom they play the rest of the way. And as far as IU is concerned, it's it's disappointing. But again, after going two and ten last year, it's just a matter of hey, find six wins. And, and I didn't think that Cincinnati was going to be one of them at the start of the season anyway. Here's a phrase you never thought you'd say: yeah. Nebraska's a must win for the Indiana Hoosiers. Um, <laughs> Yeah. That, that, that is now a, a, a bingo free space, yeah. given how they have been playing. Let's see if Indiana can take advantage of it. Yeah, I'm afraid we're going down the same old, same old path here, unfortunately. But, yeah, there's no doubt you're right about that. The Indy 11 is doing something pretty nice, correct, coming up here? So, well, first of all, the weather's going to be great for the Indy 11 uh, on Saturday night. And the Indy 11 won again at home on Sunday with a 1-0 victory against Loud United. They're on the road tomorrow against Atlanta. Uh, but then they were back at home against FC Tulsa on Saturday. And the Indy 11 before the game, as in well before the game, uh, are hosting a, a walk to end Alzheimer's. Uh, that has always been a charity near and dear to the heart of Orsal Ozdemir, uh, the owner of the Indy 11. So it's going to be a busy day downtown. The walk to end Alzheimer's will be uh, early in the day. The game will be at 7. Basically, if you're going to be involved in the walk, you're going to get a great opportunity for tickets to the Indy 11 game on Saturday night. Indy11.com, 317-685-1100, always has more. It's going to be awesome. It will. And I'm assuming you had a much better post-game show than usual on Sunday, right? Uh, the post-game was a lot more tolerable uh, on Sunday than it was the Sunday before. So, nice. uh, yeah, I was, uh, I was not searching for the bar after the show is over. Let's put it that way. Greg Rakestraw, the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. He, Barry, and Bill coming at you again on Sunday afternoon following the cold sweet number four adventure with the Tennessee Titans at Lucas Oil Stadium. Greg, always a pleasure. Thank you. You got it, buddy. Now, what, what's going to be – I'm going to be in the car like at 930 on Saturday night. What's the theme on Saturday well, night during the 9 o'clock There's going to be a lot of hairband action. I was just downstairs for the past three hours kind of listening and reacquainting myself with some stuff that wasn't exactly – uh, I guess at the tip of my brain as far as hairband is concerned. It's not all hairband, but there's going to be a lot of hairband. All right, so I need to get my Aquanet ready. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll well, it's okay. Too. I mean, you can go wherever you want, too. So you call in whatever you want, but I, there will be there will be some uh, decent hair bandage going on. I promise you that. I'll have, I'll have a request ready for you. <laughs> you got it, buddy. Thanks, man. Yep. Greg Rakes on the Andy Moore Automotive Group Hotline. 